My name is Sarah Inglis, and I'm a certified integrative health coach. I help people thrive in their bodies and reclaim the health they've always wanted. Each week, I interview people who have a passion for health. You'll hear from health experts, farmers, herbalists, doctors, chefs, and many more. My hope is that they'll inspire us all to tune into our gut and notice how lifestyle and food impact us. Teresa Garvin is a licensed social worker, a transformational coach, and owner and founder of the Life You Imagine LLC. Teresa has been providing psychotherapy services to children, teens, adults, and families for over 35 years. She also taught at Boston College Graduate School of Social Work for seven years and has had a thriving private practice in Concord, Massachusetts for more than 11 years. Teresa began studying transformation in 2018, and after seeing the positive and rapid changes in her own life, she became certified as a Life Mastery Consultant in 2020. And since then, she has been providing transformational coaching to adults. She's about to launch her newest coaching program, Thriving Families, helping families to strive to thrive and not just survive. Welcome, Teresa. I'm so excited to be seeing you and talking to you today. Thank you, Sarah. I am very excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So I wanted to start by asking you the question of why, why you pursued a career in the field of psychotherapy. It goes back to the early 1980s where I, I decided that I had a deep desire to do social work, and that's what I got my bachelor's degree in. And I started in my undergraduate school doing school social work and then getting trained in a really wonderful family therapy clinic. And so when I went out, I, my first few jobs were in youth shelters for kids that ran away and also residential treatment for kids that were one step away from juvenile jail. And I found that I absolutely loved working with children and teenagers in my early 20s. And I also was not the easiest teenager myself. And so I, I always felt growing up that kids and teenagers didn't get a fair shake in the world, that they were often not heard, not understood or taken seriously. And I just knew that I had a lot of wishes of what could have been done different in my growing up. And so when I had this opportunity to work with children, I jumped at it and found this wonderful MSW program at Columbia University in a clinical track with children and families. And it, from there, it's been lots of different jobs and lots of different types of agencies working with kids and families and, and also with adults. So when you're working with children, you're serving the child, the teenager or the child. And in your programs, are you always serving the family or is it, did it depend on where you were working or who you were working with? Well, great question. Great question. And, and you already alluded to the answer. A lot of it did depend on the agency I was working at. They might have certain protocols of how they do things. However, my training and the reason why I mentioned the program at Columbia is that, you know, in undergraduate school, I had this great family therapy training in Connecticut. But I found that it, I wasn't that skilled at it. It wasn't something I loved, the traditional kinds of family therapy. But at Columbia, they taught us how to do family work, they would call it. And so that meant you have to work with the parents. Kids are not in a vacuum. 
You really need to work with the community, the schools. And so I was very much trained in that mindset to look at the kid in their environment. And so no matter where I worked, I brought that with me. So whether I worked in schools, and it doesn't mean that they supported me doing that. <laughs> so some of the schools didn't support me trying to get their kids, the parents to get their kids on in individual education plans because the kids really needed it. And so, yes, a lot of it would get challenged depending on the agency I was at. So the older I got, Sarah, the better I was able to find agencies that matched my level of interest and skills and uh, support in supporting the whole family and seeing the kid in their environment and not just isolated. That's great. So you you were really trained and obviously loved it, of having a very, I would call it a holistic approach, really looking very. at the total environment. That's just like, even though I do gut health, but it's the same idea. And it's the same principle. It's like, you can't just look at one isolated symptom. Exactly. You need to, that's, oh, that's... Exactly. And I, yes, I noticed that from my early 20s that, you know, and, I, and even my own upbringing, if we all look back on whatever kind of challenges we faced, most of us can, I, can also pinpoint some things within our family that weren't going great then either, right? Like, it's just very common for that to be the case. I mean, sometimes it's not, but very often it is that there's other family issues going on. And so I recognize that in my own personal history. And then when I started, like I said, with the runaway kids or the kids being sent away, they were coming from very troubled backgrounds and homes and families. Yeah, that's why I went into outpatient later because my hope was that if I could treat kids before they reached that level of behavior that was making them be sent away or run away, that I would have more of an impact. That was my hope. So to create programs that were more preventative, would that be a, yeah. another way of saying it? Yeah. More preventative and, and, and actually provide the type of treatment, right, that you, that's a good way to put it, that are more preventative and that will actually resolve and heal some of the things that the wounds or the problems going on at home. That was my goal. So did you move from working with agencies to private practice eventually? Yes. Yeah, just about 11 and a half years ago. Uh, my last job, which was a fabulous job, was at the Hollowell Center in Sudbury, Massachusetts. And for those of you who know Ned Hollowell, one of the leaders in the field of ADHD, I started, all three of our children have ADHD. And so I was bringing one of them there as a child. And I absolutely fell in love with how they did their treatment approach there. And so I worked there for six and a half years and then finally branched off and went into private practice and then soon after started teaching at Boston College School of Social Work as well. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. I'm familiar with Hallowell's work. I, one of my children is ADHD, and I wish we'd lived closer to Hallowell. <laughs> We're in the same state. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, there are some very innovative approaches that, and I'll, when, you, when we talk more about the gut, I have a story actually from working there or for bringing my daughter there that's very much related to gut issues. Oh, so that is what I wanted to jump right into right now. So since we know that 50% of our dopamine is produced in the gut and 90% well, of our serotonin is produced, and I'm wondering how that research has impacted your patients or or the different agencies even, or the way you've approached your practice. In terms of answering how it's affected my clients, 
I would say minimally from where I sit. In other words, th and that's because they don't have the information of, of the vast majority of them, in my opinion, at least the people I treat. In terms of me and how it's changed my practice, what I wanted to share with you is one of the reasons I started working at the Hollowell Center was our oldest child had, you know, pretty moderate to severe ADHD, the combined type. And we really were seeking alternatives to medicine. I mean, she was, you know, taking the medicine, but what I noticed was at the Hollowell Center, they were, uh, Ned Hollowell and Dr. Sorgi, who was his partner, teamed up with, I don't know if you remember, Barry Sears of The Zone, The Zone Diet. This is back in the 90s, right? So late 90s, maybe early, yeah, I, or early 2000s, early 2000s, maybe. Barry Sears and Ned Hollowell teamed up and they wanted to get 10 to 12 kids between the ages of like 8 and 16, and they could either stay on medication for ADHD, they had to have at least ADHD, and they could have other comorbidities such as anxiety or depression. And the choice was up to the, each child. Do you want to take this? They introduced fish oil, high doses of highly concentrated, purely processed fish oil from the Sears labs, his own labs, right? Barry Sears's labs, as well as he would give us nutrition guidelines on how to get rid of white flour and white sugar. And the kids had to also have a much higher quantity of the good kind of proteins and fats and vegetables and fruits. So it was kind of basically put out there like that, but he did do education and gave us menu guides. And so I decided to do this study that went for 12 weeks with my daughter, and they did a beginning, middle, and end assessment. And so their results were really incredible, especially if my daughter said she got off medication and never went back on ADHD meds after that. And she said, but she also had mood issues, and, and she cited that the fish oil, as much as she hated the taste of it, um, really that and changing her diet really did make a difference in terms of her moods and regulation, emotional regulation, and focus, and energy, all of it. So I did it with her, and I noticed a huge change in clarity in my own brain and in my gut. I noticed all of that. So I can't say we stayed religiously on his diet afterwards, but I will say that it was enough that really made an impact on me. And so a lot of the clients who have been seeing me, the kids know me as like, oh, she's always going to tell you you have to take fish oil. <laughs> and she's always going to talk to you about, you know, cutting out the, you know, the white flour and the white sugar, at least reducing it. And especially those preservatives, colorings and things, food colorings and all of that dyes. So the other thing I want to mention just quickly, that was a really cool concept that has to do with gut and the hollow center is this is why I wanted to work there. I was so impressed with the innovative, holistic approach they had. They actually had a nutritionist who would go grocery shopping with me. And she would say, show me everything you normally buy. Bring me your normal grocery list. And then I'm going to go through the store with you and find healthier substitutes and give you different ideas of what to cook. Now, that service they offered with that nutritionist didn't last. I wish it had. I don't know why it didn't. But I thought that was a phenomenal approach to doing an assessment on kids with ADHD. Do you feel overwhelmed with the thought of transforming your health? If the idea of creating a balanced diet managing stress, and forming new sleep patterns stresses you out, don't worry, I am here to help. As an experienced integrative health coach, I can help you develop signature health strategies that work for your lifestyles and goals. After working with me, my clients have lost weight, improved their sleep, 
and reverse lifestyle diseases. I'm offering three free strategy sessions before the end of the month. Click the link in the description of this podcast to book yours today. Offer them a nutritionist who's willing to do home-based and, and outreach kind of work, right? And not just yeah. in the office. That, that, that's fantastic because we know, we, you know, you just admitted it yourself. It was great while you were on the diet and had the support of the Hallowell Center. But it's very difficult to maintain. You made a lot of changes. And I don't know what the, I'm curious what the period of time was to your diet. But unless they're made very slowly, because you need chances to fail along the way. That's right. And um, to implement right. it and figuring out how to, in your case, how to please the whole family. That is, oh. that is a, that's definitely, that adds another level of challenge. Well, mission impossible because my, our youngest son has diabetes and celiac and our middle child, who's our daughter, has a severe poultry allergy. So she could never have anything with any, any kind of poultry in it, including broth or anything. And then the one, the, the one I was just referring to, our oldest one, really had an aversion to most red meat. So it's like, try to feed this, this crew. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like you're not, definitely being pushed towards vegetarian vegan. <laughs> I mean, that and you need to know that I was raised in a family where my mother actually grew up in a bakery, like living in the bakery they owned. Yep, she had an apartment above the bakery, and she used to laugh and say that her breakfast would be a jelly donut and a can of Coke. <laughs> so that's the mother who raised me, okay, Sarah? <laughs> so you have a little picture? bit of that DNA going on for you. <laughs> it was a hard A little thing bit of a challenge. <laughs> yeah. I do. Yes. That's important that people understand that, that when you're changing your diet, you have to accept where you are who you are, your ancestry, your DNA, because that's going to impact how the challenges or how easy or what you should be eliminating or adding to your diet. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So do you remember how long this beginning, middle and end process was at the Hallowell Center for the diet? For the diet, they just did it for 12 weeks. And then I do think they did a six-month and one-year follow-up where they did kind of labs with this too, and then they would give us questionnaires to fill out. But in terms of my own follow-up with nutrition in my family, because of all the things I just described about everybody's food issues in my family, it's an ongoing journey, Sarah. I'm still really working on it. They're all in their 20s now, but it's it, for me, for, even just for myself, I'm going to a, a holistic nutritionist who has practiced functional nutrition as well. Well, it is. It is an ongoing process because, you know, our cells are constantly regenerating. So we're not the same person. My That's body's right. not the same as it was 10 years ago, for sure. I mean, well, mine is not physically. <laughs> we, we know that anyway. <laughs> we, we definitely know that's true. <laughs> but I mean, just yeah. from a scientific view, <laughs> and everybody's. Yes. Right. And it's not like everything is regenerating at the same pace either, you know, so it is a challenge in that respect. This is such a good lead in to your your new program that you're about to launch because it's just one aspect of the challenge of 
having a wonderful family and everybody has their unique needs. So what what inspired you to develop this wonderful new program that you're launching, Thriving Families? Thank you for that lovely introduction to it. What I probably haven't stated yet that will explain the Thriving Families a little bit is that I've had this psychotherapy background for, for over 35 years. And about three and a half to four years ago, when I started to seek transformation for myself through the laws of the universe and some of the training that I'm now certified in through the Brave Thinking Institute for life coaching or transformation coaching, I saw such great results that, you know, and I, I've spent many years in my own therapy and I thought, wow, I've done therapy. I've gone to therapy. I've taken my kids to therapist. And these results are so much faster And so much more fun, in my opinion, because focusing on a vision and a dream, which is what I'm now trained in, was so much more life-enhancing for me. After 35 years of having people say, can you fix my kid? Instead of saying, can you fix my kid? It was, now it's about creating a vision together. So I made this decision last January, this past 2022, to fully transition from therapy to coach. So in doing so, I started some of the basic coaching programs that I've been trained in, such as Dream Builder and Life Mastery, which teaches people how to create these visions. And I was having such great success with adult clients working on these principles and practices that it started to dawn on me, what if we could do this with families where there could be a family vision? Because what I had experienced, especially over the last the, the pandemic has made me more bold and, and just going for what I want to try instead of the traditional approaches to therapy. So what I started to notice is that when I would change the questions during an assessment, so parents go back to the therapy hat I was wearing, parents coming in and saying to me, can you fix my kid? They have ADHD, they're not doing the homework, or they have anxiety or depression or social issues. So I started to change my questions in the assessment. And I would say to the parents, so if I'm wildly successful at helping your child, what will you notice is different when we're all done with treatment? And most of them would say, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) It was possible. (laughs) I'm just bringing my kid to you because they have ADHD or somebody said you do therapy and that would help get these symptoms better. Right. And so. I said, oh, that's all, that's all well and good and that's great, but I want to know what you as parents care about. Like, tell me the most important aspect in coming to see me. What do you most hope happens for your kid? Right? And they'd have to really think about that. And here's the good news. You ready for the good news? Because yeah, I can't wait to hear. <laughs> Riding families. I would say at least 90% of the parents would give me one of two answers after we did the whole history taking and I heard about all the issues with school or siblings or peers. I'd revisit that question and I'd say, okay, now that I've heard all about your family history, his or her school history, what do you really care about? What's the most important thing that your child gets that they don't have now? And they would, nine times out of 10, they would say one of two things. Either I want them to be happy or I want them to feel confident and successful. Those are phenomenal answers. They were music to my ears. And I would say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because now, guess what? I get to take that, what you just said, and when I meet your child for the first time or your teenager, I get to say, your parents are bringing you to see me because they want you to be happier. Do you want to be happier? Or they want you to be more successful and feel confident. 
You know, would you like that? Very few people will say no, no thanks. It's a lot better way to start treatment with somebody other than, because here's what most kids and teenagers are used to hearing. Oh, so tell me about your ADHD. So tell me about school. What's the problem? What's the problem? And what have you already tried to fix before that, you know? So they've been to other therapists or they've been to, you know, the school counselors or whatever. And it's always just focused on the kid. And so as parents were more open to this kind of questioning, I started saying to them, can I work with you too? And, and a lot of them would welcome that. And so what I started to find out is that there was either a lot going on at home that was really impacting how they were parenting their kids or how their kids were doing. The pandemic didn't help, that's for sure, for a lot of people. And that they might have also had their own wounds left over from childhood. Like it was important for me to tell you my mother was raised in a bakery and let me eat ice cream for breakfast, which is true. Um, <laughs> she would say to my father, would complain and say, Dot, why are you letting her do this? And she'd say, it has milk in it. <laughs> right. That's true. That's very true. But so we're influenced by our families. And so what I started to notice is that the parents of the kids that were coming in often had some one leftover wounds from their own family of origin that if we addressed it, it really did open up doors for how they were going to do with their own kids. And number two, many parents had some kind of um, feeling pressure from the outside sources to fix their kid, whether it's from teachers or neighbors or family members, other family members. It's that outside influence of why are you letting your kid be like this, right? And that a lot of them also didn't get the kids they thought they were going to get. I think that's a big one. That was a big discovery because I went through the same thing with, with our own kids, like figuring like, you know, having my son get diagnosed with juvenile diabetes at one. I'm sorry, nobody prepared me for that one. <laughs> like, I don't like shots or blood. I was freaking out over that. But I, I just remember I have four children and I just remember thinking with my first that, whoa, she had such a personality as an infant and I was not expecting that. It's like, whoa, you sort of know what you want when you want it. I think for a new parent, that's sort of a big surprise. <laughs> Nobody. It's a big surprise and it's an adjustment and nobody ever says like, how are you doing with all that? So my idea with Thriving Families was to let people first get the parents in to talk about when you guys got married and envisioned your family, what did you envision and what do you have now? Because <laughs> often they don't match. <laughs> what they envision doesn't match what, what, what they're living with now, like the types of personalities, as you said, or behaviors. And so we, we start there. We start there with if they need to grieve the loss, if their kid has, you know, some kind of a learning disability or a developmental disability or a mental health issue that they didn't expect, they really need to grieve the loss of the perfect child that they were hoping for, right? And, and, and also, you know, see if this triggers anything from their own upbringing. So kind of clear out the old and then bring in the new for a vision of, okay, so now that we've done some of that work, can we look at the gifts that your children are? Because they are. They are. Everyone's life is a gift. And so to try to help parents to focus their attention there, what are the gifts in this child? Oh, that's such a beautiful way of saying it. I mean, as, as a former teacher, yeah, I felt badly for the parents who couldn't accept, but realizing that they, they were at a different place in their journey, whatever that might be, that it was really, really hard for them to accept their child the way they were and, and to proceed from there. Well, in full disclosure, I, I was the one taking all my kids to be fixed, too. 
And that, that, so all of those factors really did influence me to want to create a program for coaching with vision, you know, in a visionary kind of a way where the parents first, since they're running the family, they get their own healing first and get shown the steps on how transformation occurs and how to build up not only a vision, but a day-to-day practice of how to be in your family so that your kids will want to be with each other and want to be there. And so when, when that piece with the parents is done, then I try, if the kids are amenable to working with me, to see if everyone gets to first do their own individual vision of a life they would love. So with kids, I'll be asking them not only about your family, but about sports and friends and school, right? And other hobbies or interests, what would they love, right? And so they get to, they get to start thinking, no, people don't usually ask us those questions. They don't ask us, what, what would you love? What would you love in your life if you could have more of whatever? And then we try to find some overlap between the kids' visions of what they would love in their family. If you were living in a family that you actually wanted to spend time with, what would you guys be doing? That's the kind of question I, I would be asking mm-hmm. their kids. Do you find this information helpful? Is there a certain topic you'd like us to cover? Leave us a comment and review about what you'd like to hear. I've been integrating that also into my health coaching for a health vision. If you had the health in your vision, what what would you be doing? It just puts a whole different spin on, okay, what are strategies that you can come up with? What's going to work for your lifestyle? And in your case, the whole family too. Teresa, I'm wondering if if a parent has a child with ADHD or ADD, what would be the first steps that you would recommend for a parent to take? Mm-hmm. The first step that I would recommend is to consult with their pediatrician or primary care physician, but also, and that's to get a referral for a neuropsychological evaluation. That is a really important component for diagnosing ADHD, and it's so incredibly valuable. I often tell parents, if you're going to spend your money on something that's of value, you know, and you have to kind of pick and choose. The neuropsych testing gives you a lot of information that you can't get anywhere else. And it's used in schools. Most schools, if it's a reputable neuropsychologist, will honor the findings. And neuropsychologists can be much more specific about things like learning disabilities, which often coexist with ADHD, and accommodations that kids with ADHD might need in the classroom, whether it's elementary school or college. So that neuropsych evaluation is like the the major tool that I think most parents and students need to kind of equip themselves and their environment with having a better understanding of how their brain works, where their strengths and challenges are, and the best way to teach them, the tools that are needed to teach them best. And then beyond that, I think that um, the other reason why I was mentioning going to the primary care pediatrician is that you also want to get, and this is along the lines of what you're doing here, Sarah, is to get a workup done to make sure that it's not a thyroid issue or it's not some other kind of medical issue. And also to start thinking and talking about things like their diet and what they've tried so far and what are the other behaviors or symptoms that they're noticing. And then beyond that, the next, you know, so if they were coming to see me, I would do some psychoeducation if the child did get diagnosed. There's three different kinds of ADHD. So once I was um, reading the neuropsych evaluation and determining which kind of ADHD the child had, I would do some psychoeducation with parents and child. And what I 
try really hard to focus on as a previous therapist and now coach is the diagnosis is only important in terms of understanding how your brain or body work. And then each child and parent should pick out what are the behaviors that are getting in the way with your day-to-day functioning and focus on those. Because you're going to get a whole checklist of symptoms and behaviors, regardless of which type of ADHD. But what I always said to kids is, what bugs you though? Like, are you frustrated about the procrastinating or about not getting started or having difficulty transitioning or not knowing when to stop? You tell me which ones of these symptoms are interfering in your life, and then we'll focus on strategies of how to manage those better. And that was kind of my approach to doing the treatment with ADHD kids. And then also making sure the parents were getting some training from me about what to do at home and how to advocate for their kids at school so they're getting appropriate services and teaching in the ways that they need it and support at home where, which is a hard thing because you want the parents to not micromanage and do everything, but you also don't want them to just buy into what so many in our society believe about people with ADHD, which is that they're just lazy or they don't care or they're, oh, they're not trying because one day they did, they got a hundred on their math test and, and the next week they got a, they got a 40. And I'll say, well, did you change units? Like, <laughs> because the, the one consistent thing about kids and adults with ADHD is that they're consistently inconsistent. And a lot of people don't understand that. It's not that they can't pay attention. They, they can pay great attention to things that interest them. What they can't do is they can't control their attention span easily. Because when they're bored, that distractibility meter goes way off the charts, right? When they're bored or they're not understanding something, the, you know, the brain wiring stops, it gets disconnected, and they can't just stay focused and finish a task. And a lot of people don't understand that. They just think about ADHD as being, you know, I can't pay attention, and there's way more to it than that. Those are great tips. That's, that's hugely helpful. I remember being, just going back to what you were saying before. I, of course, I tried to fix my children too, but I remember being stuck. Yeah, a decade ago. And I think in the first page, it said, first, you need to fix. I'm sure it didn't say it that way. You need to fix yourself, parent, (laughs) before you go. And then I even think of that on a very uh, more concrete level, like diet, right? So if we know that a diet change is going to help everybody function more calmly, even in the family, everybody, the parents too, need to try it out. You can't just give it to the child so that you have a better comprehension of what's involved, first of all, and to make it fun, too. Absolutely, to make it fun. That, that's one of the things I'm so excited in doing this work is I'm really hoping it turns out to be a lot of fun, not just for me, but for them. Because therapy, I mean, I feel like the kids that come in, are they, they literally feel like they're dragged in, you know? No one's that happy to come see me the first time, <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, what, what's wrong with me? Now I got to go see somebody else. Well, and it's probably not knowing what to expect, I suppose, too. Well, exactly. until they get to meet you. Exactly. So I, I'm excited to, to ask parents, too, what, do, what would make you want to spend more time with your kids? Like, you know, what are your thoughts and ideas about now that we've kind of embraced the true gifts of your children and the family you do have? Now let's redo your vision. And now what would you want to have? No matter what ages they are, who cares how old they are? Like my kids are in their 20s and I'm still trying to figure out how am I going to be? Who am I going to be 
that's better than the way I was because I was also that parent always trying to micromanage and, you know, it, it doesn't have good results, Sarah. I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm, that's what propelled me towards this model of thriving families. Well, it's a wonderful concept and I'm sure it will be hugely successful. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I hope so. And wonderful for families. They're very fortunate to have the opportunity to to work on something that really is so complex, but likewise can be so simple, as you said, too. Well, the same thing with the diet and the health. I agree with everything you said. It's like that with all these spheres in our life, right? Whether it's vocation or health, money, right? Money. Right. Time. Everything. So if you could go back 20 years, we've been talking a little bit about our past, but if you could go back 20 years and give yourself health advice, what would that be? You answered the number one thing I would tell myself is to take care of yourself first. And even though, you know, you go on all these plane rides and hear about put your own mask on first and, and conceptually we know that <clears throat> or intellectually, but I never up until now, I haven't practiced that until very recently. And I see that I have some autoimmune issues that I know came around the time that I was experiencing the greatest stressors in raising a family with challenges and external environmental challenges and our own internal challenges. And that's the advice I would give myself is to get yourself healed first and to really notice what I'm noticing about my own body and what's happening, both in my gut and also in my thoughts. You know what I mean? And, and paying attention to these thoughts about how my kids are doing or how I'm doing and putting so much pressure on myself. You know, now that our kids are in our 20s, I, I can look back 20 years ago and see that nobody put more pressure on me than I did on myself. And I would go back and be a lot more gentle, kind, and compassionate and also say, you know, go get support no matter what it takes. There's a lot of things going on and nobody can handle this all by themselves. So get some support. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think I was definitely brought up in a generation where I felt like, oh, you know, very feminism had come to the fore and, and proving yourself and, and working in a man's world back then and, and thinking that asking for support demonstrated weakness. It took, no, I have to, I'll be honest, it took me a long time to get over that. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so that's why I believe so strongly in what you do, what I do of coaching, because we all need support. There's, we all need We support. all do. And it's. Oh, I agree. And I'm so grateful for the work you do. And I hope that there is a lot more people like you that are going to be trying to integrate nutrition and health and more holistically and to reach more people this way, because I feel like that is a big lack in our current healthcare system. And just in our current society, they so go hand in hand. They so go hand in hand. <laughs> right? Health and functioning and, right? The right. approach. Right. So how, how would our listeners get in touch with you to find out more? Sure. The easiest way might be to go to www.https slash teresagarvin.squarespace.com. That's my website, my Squarespace website. And if you click on events, 
There's a free masterclass actually tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. called The Power of Vision. It's a 90-minute workshop. And if you register, even for those people who cannot attend, they'll get a replay on Sunday that lasts for three days as long as you're registered before tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. So I would love to invite anyone who is interested in learning more about how to create a vision of a life you would love, how to make changes in your life, whether it's around some kind of a disorder like ADHD or anxiety or depression, or just that you want more of whatever in life, whether it's time and money or a change in vocation or better relationships, I would love to see them tomorrow at 10. And so just click on the events portion of my website and it will take you right to register for free at the landing page. And that's Eastern time, right? That's Eastern time. Thank you for reminding me of that, that piece that I'm getting used to. Thank you so very much, Teresa. This has been wonderful hearing about your programs and what you do. It's very inspirational. Thank you so much. I feel that it's very mutual. I I love what you're doing and I'm going to send as many people as I can to your podcast and your your newsletter because I think it's really important information. It's very much a privilege to be here, Sarah. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you too. For over 25 years, I was a teacher and one of my greatest joys in life is seeing people light up when they have an aha moment. It is pure magic. I've now combined teaching with my knowledge of health into live workshops. I teach throughout the country about gut health and how to transform your health. If you'd like to know when I'll be in your city, subscribe to my newsletter in the description of this podcast.